You're listening to the North Canton Chapel Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. This little nursery rhyme, whatever you want to call it, intended to strengthen resolve of young children in the schoolyard against bullies has become excuse for flinging whatever rhetoric at others because they are soft or the only reason to find a source of our identity in the names or absence of, neither of which are, as we will see today in week 10 of our journey through Ephesians, grounded in what Jesus has given us through his word as a guide for how we, if we are following him, posture ourselves, our thoughts, our words, and actions. For words do have power. It's no wonder that through our journey through Ephesians, the first three chapters talk about who God is and what he has done, the names that he now speaks over us, these identity language chosen, adopted, forgiven, blessed, predestined, saved, inheritors, holy, blameless, new. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, the world may utter such rhymes and live by such reasons. Our journey in Ephesians and as followers of Jesus today going to unpack this reality that our words do have power and how we wield them is not based on childhood schoolyard rhymes, nor feelings, nor response to those rhymes, nor response to feelings, whichever side of the fence we find ourselves But if we claim Jesus as not just Savior of someday, but also as Lord of today, then it is to him that all facets and aspects of ourselves, our actions, our thoughts, our minds bow as we are guided by the Word of God. So we're going to continue in Ephesians chapter 4. Last week, Pastor Brandon began this, and we saw this pivot, chapters 1 through 3, like I just said, is this, remember, the only thing that God, right, was calling us to do in this is remember. Remember what God has done. Remember what he says. Chapter 4, it pivots. It changes. We move from remembering and letting God's Word speak truth over us of who we are now because of Jesus to the way in which we are now because of Jesus. God's Word is going to challenge us. Will you live in this new way? But not just live in it. Will you live in it God's way? Will you let Jesus not just change your someday, not just change your Sunday, but will you let him change you every day in every way? So we've been unpacking this. We've been going through. If you haven't, if you're new here for the first time, welcome. Great to have you. You can fill out one of those I'm new here cards, and I'll be in touch with you this week. And if you're jumping in, we have these Ephesians journals. They're still at the Next Steps area or this reading plan. So if you've missed it, you can go back and watch because everything is building on what we've learned ahead of time, okay? This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and so they wouldn't have read it in chapters with verse numbers. They would have sat down and unpacked the whole thing. 
So in case you haven't, we do have that reading plan available. And, and like I'd encourage you, sit with God's word. Don't just take whoever's preaching on Sunday, be all that you consume. Sit with it. But we're going to dive in here, chapter 4, verse 25. We're going to go through this bit by bit, unpacking what God's word says and our response to that. So verse 25 says this. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Okay, so some parameters before we continue, because we hear this, and we need to understand, we need to let Scripture interpret Scripture. What has come before informs what we are unpacking now. God's Word informs God's Word. It starts with therefore. So last week, the crux of this idea was that we are actively moving from what we were, what we did, how we were, how we live, to a new identity, actions, thoughts, based on what Jesus has done and what has been declared over us in chapters 1 through 3. I sound like a broken record, but it's all building. It's the same. Going back, remember. So speak the truth. We're going to unpack this because what we see in God's Word is there is truth. And so some of you, because that's a question, you say, what do you believe about truth? Absolute truth? Yes, absolutely. God's Word, when we say this is truth, we say that, but what Paul is going to get at here, what God's word is getting at is there is also the posture in which we carry and speak that truth. How we speak is equally as important as what we say. And we're going to see this here. This is not an either or. It's a both and, truth and grace. This is yoked here with neighbor and members. So who is this? When Paul is writing here to this church in Ephesus, this idea of member and neighbor is those here. So in our case, if we're saying, who is this talking to with us? Members and neighbors, this is us. Your local church, if you're here, the North Canton Chapel. There's this reality that God sets boundaries. We see this even in creation, right? There are created things with order and purpose. And so it's important to recognize. So I think as we look at this, one of the things we need to see, this was Paul writing to a local church. And we're talking about speaking truth, members of another most likely, God is not asking you to change every person. Most likely, God is not asking you to change an entire nation. Like, maybe, better have done a lot of, like, prayer and fasting to, like, be sure that's what he's asking you. More likely, God has entrusted you to a local church. Within that local church, a specific group of people. And within that small group, of probably a few tight-knit relationships. I mean, Jesus modeled this. There are the crowds there's the 12, there's the 3, and there's the relationship he had with the Father. And we need to remember this. We have limits. There's only, if you didn't sleep, you only have 168 hours. And so if you gave every single person without sleeping an hour of your time, you could only invest in 168. Even if we wanted, we have limits. We need to remember this because sometimes we get overwhelmed and believe our responsibility is to change people, which we can't. So let's just clear that up as we're looking at this, right? When we're talking about speaking truth, we can't change people. And we get angry because we have misplaced hope, and we're going to see that can lead to sin. So recognizing the parameters of those we've been entrusted to to speak truth helps us faithfully follow Jesus. You can't change everyone and, like, take a breath. You aren't accountable for everyone and those to whom you are, you need to line up with God's word. I need to line up with God's word and how we posture ourselves. It's not just correction, 
but there's also prayer. We're going to see later in Ephesians 6, talks about we are in a spiritual battle. So our truth is not from a place of physically like who we are. There's this spiritual side, and we can only fight spiritual things in spiritual ways. So when it talks about putting away falsehood, last week, right, Pastor Brandon unpacked this for us. It said to put off, be renewed, put on. This means putting away our old way. Speaking truth must be lined up with as much, if not more, of time on our knees in prayer, in intercession, in supplication. We cannot be so quick to call out correct without also praying and fasting for that person. What we speak out, church, always flows from what is within And a spiritual battle is always fought in spiritual ways. Part of falsehood is moving from I have the truth they need to Jesus has the truth they need. And only Jesus can change them. So I pray, then I speak, then I pray. And so as we continue to dive in this morning, let's pray together. Jesus, we come before you. We recognize that we are a people that so easily forget. Jesus, would we help? Would you help us to remember you? That as we look at your word as our truth, would we see that it is the things we say and the posture in which we say them and think them and live them? Jesus, that we would not be living from a place of forgetfulness, but remember who you are, what you have done, what you have spoken over us, and the new life that you have called us to. We pray this in your holy and mighty name. Amen. So Paul's going to continue in these next verses to unpack clearly for us some tangible ways of what putting off falsehood looks like and how we are to live in our new identity in his kingdom. So verse 26 says this. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So your pastor, one of your pastors and brother in Christ, let me speak truth to us because I know, I know, I know for some of us, we've taken this verse and we say, the Bible says I can be angry and we leave it at that. So can we just unpack this? Because we also jump to Matthew 21 and we say, well, Jesus flipped tables so I can be angry. When we read this, this is not a free pass to yell and type and comment and speak and say, as long as it's theologically true, the posture in which I speak and live out of that is okay. See, Matthew 21, the passage we so often want to go to and say Jesus was upset, yes, okay, the issue was from those in religious leadership, not political, not government officials, not the people that bother, right, not those outside of God. Okay, if you remember, when, when I talked, I talked about um, last time I was up here in Ephesians, the dividing wall, the sort, this was the court of the Gentiles, the outer space, where those could step in, and it was a space intended by God to give those outside of his chosen people a glimpse of the one true God and what true worship to the only true God was like. But see, the court had been taken over by those who claimed to follow God but it no longer cared about the way in which God cared for those outside of his chosen people. They'd become money changers. There were those who would journey in to offer sacrifice, and so they were setting up tables where they were charging those who had just come, right, those who were poor, who couldn't afford, right? God always makes ways for the people to come to him in his way, and they were charging these taxes. And so when Jesus was going and flipping these tables, it was not those 
who were outside of God whose tables you're slipping. It was those who were religious who claimed to worship God but it had taken disregard for the way in which God had set up for those outside could take a step and get a glimpse of this one true God. And so when Jesus flips the tables, he was not angered, not that Gentiles were in the court, but that the religious had taken what was intended by God to show the nations a glimpse of who he is, and they had made it about something else. And so if we read this and we say this justifies flipping tables of people who don't claim Jesus, we need to remember, no one is changed by any amount of anger. Dead men don't come alive because you yelled the right things really loudly or cleverly. Church, we cannot use Matthew 21 as an excuse for our anger of who we are angry at. And the way in which we are being angry don't line up with the word of God. Christians aren't called to make people right because they can't. We're called to proclaim that Jesus can make us new. So what's this idea then of the sun going down and giving the devil an opportunity or a foothold? This is the idea of excessive anger. And so when it's talking about this, it's saying you can be angry, but you need to deal with it in the way in which God intends for us to deal with it. Because what happens, we see throughout Scripture, is that excessive anger, when it lingers, when it festers, this is how bitterness takes root. And so, yes, let's be honest with the truth. There's going to be a day when every man, woman, and child will give an account a reckoning for their life, for their sin. And apart from Jesus satisfying the wrath that is due for our sin, there is no other answer. But see, we forget that that is our answer too. That it was Jesus and Jesus alone that paid the price and so sometimes we get angry because we so often want to believe that as Christians, we have the ministry of condemnation. And we miss scripturally that God has actually entrusted to us to be partners with him in the ministry of reconciliation. See, there's a difference between sharing the truth of sin and separation from God. There's a difference between that and declaring the totality of that over someone until you or I breathe our last breath, or until they, we don't know the working in which God may or can do, and yet some of us are so eager to jump to say, this is done, there's no hope, and we cast them out. God has called us to be reconcilers as Jesus reconciled us, or did we forget? And if our, if our anger does not lead us to posture our hearts towards Jesus... And towards reconciliation, we are not being led by the Spirit. We justify anger at seeds that take a long time to grow rather than praying earnestly to the one who can make them grow however long it takes. See, a body needs its members with wisdom and discernment to recognize how each is wired and for what each is wired. But see, the world says you need to find a bunch of people who are exactly in every single way like you. But we don't see that in the church. Yes, Jesus is the same. Jesus is our unifier. But we shouldn't just run to a bunch of ears or a bunch of eyes or a bunch of tongues. Right? The world says pick sides and pick same, casting aside or canceling the rest. But our side is Jesus and our same is Christ crucified. But our spaces need the nuances in which each of us bring to the table. 
God is not calling us, church, to comfort void of tensions. See, a body has tension. Just me walking, there's tension, right? Muscles, joints. I can only talk about a little bit or I'm going to pass out, but like, like your eye, right? The pupil, I think, dilates with light. Um, I have this weird eye thing. I do pass out. I know maybe former eye doctors are in here and witnessed it. It's embarrassing, whatever. Um, Right, but each plays this interconnected part, and, and we, we feel that because for some of us, our body isn't functioning as it's supposed to because you need those specific parts with those specific purposes, yet too often when we talk about the body and the church, we let the world dictate our idea of membership as though we need to pick, like, am I a Costco guy or a Sam's Club guy instead of saying, no, I'm a Jesus guy. And we try and orchestrate it by leaving tension rather than by letting God work and letting God start with me. See, we will never see a church move closer to perfection if the members don't persevere through tension. We will never see a church move closer to perfection as Jesus describes, wanting to to build the church, this this dwelling place, its members, this body up. We will never see a church move closer to perfection if the members don't persevere through tension. A new life takes time to learn, time to grow, and each of us have differences in the ways we were before Jesus, in the way we are now, in the way that he is still making us to be, because it's a process. Let's look at verse 28. It says this. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So Paul is writing here to show that your relationship with Jesus doesn't just impact Sunday worship attendance. It wasn't just about when they went to the temple together, when they gathered in homes together but rather the way in which we fully live our lives displays to a watching world the ways of God. See, underneath this here in verse 28, it's not just stealing is bad and giving is what Christians do. There's always this deeper, right, unbelief that's in there. Stealing is rooted in greed, and it's rooted in this false belief of God as provider, as God as satisfactory, It says, I don't have enough, I need more, until I have this, I will not be enough. That's what beyond this. And so it's not just saying, just don't steal. It's laying this new identity of saying, I don't have to because this is now who I am and what I believe about who God is. And laziness, it's this idea, what's the bare minimum that I can do? I don't want to persevere. I don't want tension. I want that comfort. The root of this isn't just don't steal. It's live in a new way, rooted in a new identity, rooted in a new truth. And that is what changes our posture. Until this happens, this won't happen. So it starts from a new understanding that I am satisfied in Jesus. Right? I recognize that he's Jehovah Jireh. We see Abraham talk about this in Genesis 22. The Lord will provide The way I don't just read it, pray it, or say it is by doing it. Does my account, what I talk about in here, what I journal about in my quiet time, 
when I'm sitting with a bunch of other Christians in a Bible study, those are good things. But does it match when I'm standing in line at Starbucks? When the overworked restaurant staff messes up my order? When I look at my bank account, does my profession match what is flowing out of me? See, new life in Jesus is rooted in the truth of God's word. This right here, the Bible, displayed in the rhythms and spaces of our day-to-day lives. New life in Jesus is rooted in the truth of God's word, the Bible, displayed in the rhythms and spaces of our day-to-day lives. Paul continues here, and he's talking about this moving from our actions, our hands, to our speech, mouth. Both of these, first and foremost, flow from the work that's done in our heart. And so if you're sitting here, and maybe you've missed chapters 1 through 3, and maybe Jesus has never done that work in you, then just, like, tune this out and, like, go back. Because until, until you recognize that Jesus has changed you, then none of this will happen. But if you're in here and you're proclaiming Jesus as Savior and Lord, verse 29, let's read. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Listen, Paul's going to get super clear right here. Um, There's parts of Scripture that are a bit more challenging to understand. Um, that without maybe cultural context, it can be easy to say, right, like we just unpacked, right, Matthew 21, Jesus flipped tables. If I don't understand the, right, the, the understanding of how the temple was set up and some of those things, it could be easy for me to maybe read something into it. And then there's other pieces where, like, it's super clear. And, and again, like, this is not me saying scripture's up for interpretation, but understanding prophetic literature and cultural context and historical literature gives us wisdom and discernment as we are reading God's word. But as we look at this, we have to say, what truth do we see here and what are the parameters to help us know what to say? Because Paul is talking about our words. First parameter, yes, we should speak truth, but the parameter with that is, is the truth I am saying corrupting? This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, my issue is not that you're saying these things, but the posture and way in which you are saying them. So I'm coming up on year 14 here at North Canton Chapel. I started in student ministry. Um, you know, if you know Pastor James, who's now up at Citizens Akron, um, he, we were both in student ministry at the same time. And so, listen, I'll look back and I'll say, all right, Brummy was super young when he started. I was 20, Okay. We can all admit it, like, you're not going to offend me. Like, I was super young. There was a lot I didn't know, okay? I was just trying. I was just here. I was just trying to be faithful. I was trying to learn, trying to grow. And, like, 20-year-olds are 20-year-olds. And so I'm sure, like, and parents, I'll apologize because some of you, like, I'm sure I kept you up late at night. I'm sorry. Um, You know, thank you for your grace. Um, And there's this reality, like, we were young and we were trying. And so there was one time where um, probably two or three years in, that I was over at, at Claremont, may it rest in peace, um, playing ultimate frisbee with um, some middle schoolers. And so what was happening here was there was this town hall meeting. And so, like, I kind of let it run over because, like, there's some young, like, I mean, I was like, I was trying to build relationships with students because that's important, right? Not just on Sunday, but, like, to spend time. So Brummy rolls in with a backwards bright neon pink, pink panther hat, a little sweaty, and I just missed um, the part where someone in this town hall meeting 
Um, I slide into a row next to James, and someone had just voiced very loudly, um, right, their, their anger that there was a, a thug and a hooligan running the student ministry. <clears throat> now, I, I say this to share this of, like, there was some truth. Like, let's be honest, okay? James and I were young. But you know what also was the truth in this? Like, <clears throat> James and I hadn't expected this sudden, like, resignation and exodus of the student pastor or the student team before, nor had we expected the sudden exodus of a lot of the, the high school ministry volunteers who didn't persevere with us through attention. And so we were young, and there was a lot we didn't know. But what we saw was students who were asking this, are you going to leave me too? And see, at that age, what I know is that they look to you to get a glimpse of God. And so the last thing I wanted was for them to believe, even if it seems silly for us as adults, that everyone else who once told me about Jesus has left me, thus Jesus must not love me. But let me tell you about someone different, um, a pastor here. He's beloved. He's um, moved on in a different state now, but Pastor Dan Clancy, right? I love Dan. Um, now, let me tell you about Dan, okay? Dan would have James and I either individually or other times over, and we'd grab meals. And Dan would also say the really hard things to us that need to be said. Like, in moments where, like, you're being a fool, like, he would say, you're being a fool. But see, Dan on the other side of that would pray with us. And see, so he'd encourage us. And he'd help us realign, not because it's about us, but because he deeply loved this church to which we were entrusted. And he said, this is going to be the best way for us to continue to proclaim Jesus for the families and those who gather and worship at NCC. See, we must put off falsehood and speak truth, but the reality is it's not in the way and the time in which we want it, but the way and the time in which God wants it. Just because a truth needs said doesn't mean that you're the one to say it. And if you say it, you better be sure you did the hard work to pray it. Everyone has someone, but not everyone has everyone. And see, the body doesn't mean that each of us are all in every little space together. Right, a silly analogy, like, have you ever tried to lick your elbow? I'm going to embarrass myself here. I can't, right? But we get frustrated because I can't lick my elbow. But see, you weren't made to, even though some of you don't prove it, you creepily can. But we get mad at a church when this person doesn't mesh with this person, but here's the deal, it's not about the elbow, and it's not about the tongue, it's about Jesus. And what we need to say is, am I being faithful with those that he has entrusted to me? And am I going to let him change my heart and my posture towards those that I struggle with? As a church, will we persevere through tension? Because Paul gives us this warning here, verse 30. It says this, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So Paul here, he's talking about, right, this verse right between, right, words and more words. Matthew 12, Jesus talks about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When we are given our new identity in Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells in us. 
The same Spirit, if you are in Christ, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Do you walk every day with that truth in mind? You are now God's dwelling place. So when we sin, which words can be and often are, as we're seeing here, sin... This is what Paul is getting at. In John 1, it says Jesus came full of truth and grace, not one or the other, but both linked. And yet so often, as long as we have truth, we let whatever else slide, and we celebrate being filled with truth and malice, or truth and slander, or truth and wrath. But this is not how Jesus came, and if we are called to be like Jesus, then our truth must match the way in which he has entrusted it to us. We also must recognize that certain people are entrusted to certain people. God may use fellow believers or certain preaching styles to reach your heart or reach this heart, and it may be different for the one over here, but we cannot let the only way in which we believe God will work be the tone in which it is presented to a fellow man. Tensions arise just not just now, but then, Listen, Paul talks about this, 1 Corinthians 3. He says this, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Right? This idea of entrusted. Paul continues, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Listen, in my time and tenure here, I've sat under multiple pastors and teachers. I've sat in groups. I've sat with many households, and I've learned the beauty of a God who sees each and is able to provide the right space and the right person to be entrusted to. And the worst was when I believed that I was supposed to be your everything. Or when you believed that I was supposed to be your everything. We get frustrated because we make it about us instead of about Jesus. And we move to truth tainted by sin, and we begin to grieve the Holy Spirit because we've lost sight of whose we are and the way in which he's calling us to live we jump to thinking that because we're so far along in the faith, I don't need these first three chapters of Ephesians. I don't need to remember what God has done. You see, spiritual disciplines that are more about how can I use this time to correct others rather than growing in my relationship with my king, my father, Show me that I have lost sight of the awe and wonder that when I was dead in sin, when I couldn't save myself, when I couldn't think my way or, or argue or debate my way into salvation, that Jesus on the cross saved me. John Calvin says this. He says, No language can adequately express this solemn truth that the Holy Spirit rejoices and is glad on our account when we are obedient to him in all things and neither think nor speak anything but what is pure and holy and on the other hand is grieved when we admit anything into our minds as unworthy of our calling. If you need... 
Paul's getting at here is saying there's a way in which our truth, and so the question for us is if you need more time with Jesus before you hit post on that comment on social media, if you need more time with Jesus before you send a text to a family member, if you need more time with Jesus before you get coffee, then good, do it. That's being faithful and obedient to him. Don't rush a conversation out of fear. The kingdom of God doesn't rest on you or me. Jesus is big enough, and he's holding it all. And so Paul's going to end here, and he's going to right, give us this section, and we need to read this. If you're claiming Christ and ask, is this true of me? Because if not, we are being disobedient, we are being sinful, and we are grieving the Holy Spirit because we are living in sin. And as a church, we need to be serious about sin. And some of us say, yeah. Let's talk about, and I'm going to say pause, because right now, this morning, for the North Kent Chapel, the scripture, the truth that God has placed in front of us is Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. And so when he's talking here, this is what we are going to give an account for this morning. So let's read 31 and 32. It says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Are any of these true in your life? Are these true in my life? Not just are they true on Sunday. When I read this and see that God's word says this is sin, is this coming out of me in my thoughts in my post, in my conversations, when I'm on social media, what you think and speak when you watch the news, what you say over coffee, when you're driving alone in your car, when you're, you're texting. And I would be disobedient if I didn't preach this and recognize we, myself included, need to repent if this is true of us. And further note, right, one of my roles here is our online pastor, and so whether I like to or not, I spend a lot of time online. And so for some of you, I see what you post in the comments, and let me just tell you, you are grieving the Holy Spirit, and you need to delete some of your comments, the things that you have said about others because it does not line up with the truth of God's word. When we post these things in a way that does not match the pureness and holiness that only Jesus defines, it is sin. When we use words in slang, it is not about our right. It's not about, well, they got to do it. This is about you and it's about me. If I am claiming allegiance to Jesus... I'm saying I am walking and living and bowing to one name and one party alone, Jesus. Stop wearing grave clothes. You've been forgiven. And just in case the enemy is still deceived and blinded, I'm just going to read these again and read these definitions as we come to a close. Bitterness resentful spirit, harshness, a feeling of antagonism, hostility, 
wrath, passion-driven behavior, actions emerging out of our strong impulses, fierce anger, deeply resentful indignation. Anger, the idea of anger, it's rising from this ongoing opposition, it's violent passion, clamor, crying with great emotion, slander, malicious, false, defamatory statement, vilification, malice, vicious disposition, spite, ill will, a desire to injury. If our truth is linked with this posture, we are not walking in step with the Spirit, but have moved from Jesus as our Lord to something else as our Lord. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this truth that we've been given if we are proclaiming Jesus as Lord? So on a computer or a phone, right, there's these times where it's not functioning as it's supposed to, and we saw it at one time working, and now it no longer is. And so like on a computer, it needs a hard reset. Okay? This is like Control-Alt-Delete. If you have a PC, you probably press this multiple times a day. Um, right? On the iPhone, I've never had an Android, so iPhone, I know, I have to like, when it freezes, mine's getting to that point, okay, where it's getting stuck, like it's freezing up. I have to hold down the power and the volume and wait. It's this hard reset because it takes this excessive action to get it back and right with how it's supposed to be. Some of us in here, <clears throat> we need a hard reset because the way we've postured our lives is truth absent of grace, which means it's not the narrow way of Jesus. We've been functioning out of forgetfulness rather than functioning from our forgiveness in Jesus. And we read this, and yet we still refuse to let all bitterness, to let all wrath, to let all anger, clamor, slander, malice be put away. We excuse. We say, because I have the right whatever, that I can speak however, and thus we are disobeying God. And see, anything God wants to do through us only happens when God does it to us. So the truth that sometimes we're so desperate to get others to understand, we're missing the fact that Jesus is trying to get our attention. And see, if we look back on these last years, we have been so harsh to one another. We have justified whatever anger we want to throw. We've canceled each other instead of reminding each other of the God who makes dead people alive. We've stopped sharing stories about God's incredible work and rather ran to stories about why we are awesome, why we've got it all figured out. We've forgotten that we're only here because we're forgiven. So this morning, I want to challenge you to remember that you are forgiven. So the band is going to lead us in a time of reflection. And maybe for some of you, these past couple of weeks, we've had a lot of these. But maybe it's just as I sit here, having been here for like a long time. I think God, North Kent Chapel, is really trying to get your attention. He wants you to slow down, to be still. Because we forgot. And until we're still, we don't even realize the ways in which the world and sin have crept into our hearts and our thoughts and our minds. Do you remember that you're forgiven? And so as we sing this song, I just want to encourage you to sit. 
sit where you are and sit with these lyrics that are on screen. That if you need someone to pray with you, our prayer team's in the back. You can come down and find one of the pastors. But remember, remember what Jesus has done for you, that on that cross, he bore your sin. He paid the price to buy you back. And so he's saying, are you going to remember the new identity that I've spoken over you? Will you live and speak and think from that? Remember, you're forgiven. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you by laying the fullness of ourselves down. Jesus, in your mighty name, I just rebuke any strongholds that the enemy wants to claim over any in this room or watching online. Any ways that the, the devil may have a foothold, Jesus, would you just break that this morning? Would you remind us of everything that you've spoken out of what you have done? Would we be a people that forgive as we have been forgiven, but we can't do that if we don't remember what you have done? So Jesus, we look to you, to your cross. Thank you that you are the God that loved us enough to make a way when we were dead to make us alive. Jesus, we worship you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces, making much of Jesus every day to everyone.